The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler. Real life stories about fighting the good fight. Today I'm going to tell you some stories about my mom and how she influenced me and what it's like to have a mom who's a lawyer, a very untraditional lawyer, uh, and how that really kind of changed probably the direction of my life. My family's life, of course, uh, was also affected, but I'm just going to talk to you from the trailer's perspective. My mom, uh, her, her name before she became married was Mary Fung, and when she became married, her name was Mary Fung Kohler. And she kept that name for all the life that I knew her, MFK we called her. I called my mom MFK. We also called her Fung. We called her, we had a little chant that said, there's a fungus among us. And uh, Mary Fung, the fungoid, fungalicious. We also called her Yoda. Many names we called my mom. Um, and she enjoyed most of them or thought they were amusing. So when you think of a small five foot two Chinese female, especially one who started raising children uh, in the in 1960 when I was born through the uh, all through the 60s. My mom is not the picture that you would probably form in your mind. She looked like a little Chinese, very pretty uh, woman slender and black hair and, you know, round face, um, delightful looking person. Uh, but she didn't act like the traditional picture that you would have in your mind. Um, she was, uh, the most unique person I've ever known in my whole entire life and her impact on me and really anyone that ever met her was profound because there wasn't anything, uh, let me say, there wasn't anything subtle about my mom. She was a dominant personality, a dominant force always, no matter what she was doing. She wasn't sweet and soft and uh, laid back. She was not. So here's some little stories about her that may shed some light upon her style and how they impacted me as I grew into a lawyer. My mom had an office in Lake Forest Park that was right by the schoolhouse. It was two stories. She had it built by my best friend then, Cam's father, who was an architect, Robert Smith. And it looked like a stuccoed kind of pretty uh, office building, big on the corner, and the carpet she decided to put in there was royal blue, as in royal blue. Again, nothing subtle about mom. In this office, she practiced for many years. At one point, she had a number of lawyers living, or not living, but working with her. But later on, it came down to her and me. I was her paralegal slash secretary slash housekeeper in that office building throughout college and part-time during law school. 
But as a young person, really around ages of 18 or 19, when I started college and started working for her pretty much full time, I became very exposed to the practice of law. And here's a couple stories. One involved a very, very nasty divorce case. There were several stories in that case. I can remember, for example, the wife calling my mom on a weekend or at night. The husband had turned off all the electricity or had done this or that terrible thing uh, to punish her for this divorce that they were going through. He actually walked into our office uh, with that royal blue carpet for a deposition and tracked grease intentionally all throughout it. In addition, he had set his, this is when their uh, uh, mobile phones were not popular, but he had set some kind of a phone or walkie-talkie, something in his truck so that his truck would honk or beep or something like that periodically throughout the deposition. He'd have to leave. He was a horrible guy. She was in trial on this case because, of course, they couldn't settle, and I was the gopher. I helped bring boxes, and we did not have any kind of computer or paperless ability back in the uh, 70s, late 70s. So that involved me carrying boxes, and my mom was prolific with paper, and so probably four or five boxes just for a divorce trial were there, in addition to everything else. She was, I can remember, we were, had just been on a break. The judge had left the bench. This was not a jury trial. She was sitting at her table doing something. The brash, younger uh, husband's lawyer had to walk by her. The, the aisle was a little narrow. Her briefcase was there, and he kicked it with his foot. Uh, yeah. He kicked it with his foot. Uh, to get it out of the way, uh, shoving it, my mom jumped up and shoved him. And then he tussled with her. So there is my mom in trial with a six-foot-tall younger trial lawyer, and they're fighting. I uh, just kind of watched it. My mom could hold her own, and he, he uh, had lost his mind and realized what was doing and then uh, backed off. My mom still was ready to just go for his jugular when I think that the bailiff or something must have seen what was going on and the judge came out and said what's going on and uh, they got in trouble. They did not get in huge trouble like they would now because there weren't cameras in the courtroom. Uh, but I think that that left a <laughs> definite impression that that other lawyer will never, ever forget. In fact, uh, I talked to him many years later, and, and he was still apologetic about that. He just was horrified that he could ever lose his temper like that in a court of law with someone as provoking as my mother. Um, that's one story. Another story was one that was told to me by a, another lawyer. He was a city attorney at that time of Lake Forest Park, and he had brought a criminal case, and... You probably don't know this about me. I have uh, I had many interesting boyfriends growing up. One of whom, my one of my first boyfriends, name was Eddie, and he was basically a Filipino, probably a wannabe gangster. I don't know that he was actually a gangster, but he wanted to be one. And one of his friends had been criminally charged for assault with nunchucks. 
I don't even know what nunchucks are other than from Bruce Lee films or those things that you, you know, um, twirl around and use to knock out people. So he, ha- he was in trial against her on what should have been an open and shut case against this uh, wannabe gangster friend of my then boyfriend, soon to be ex-boyfriend, thankfully. Uh, but so he wrote me a letter many years later about this. I don't have the letter with me right now. I've got it somewhere. Just talking about how he walked in there so confidently. He had this great case. He had witnesses. He was going to, you know, this is going to be open and shut. And there's my mom. And what my mom did was basically he said, by the end of the trial, the jury was treating that defendant like he was Bruce Lee. She had him demonstrate how to do it and the whole art of it. And he was charming and explained how this is all a big misunderstanding. Totally acquitted, found not guilty. And uh, when he walked out of that courtroom in shame, the defense lawyer, it was to, he had to walk around the jury who was crowded around the uh, no longer defendant, numchuck expert, who was uh, busy chatting it up with them and, and talking about nunchucks. So while you might want to think, well, you know, Karen's mom was, was uh, not, not only unique, but she did things badly, and she did. There's some things she did badly, don't get me wrong. She was also extremely effective sometimes. The main issues I had with my mom were how chaotic her practice was and her tendency to procrastinate because she was such a perfectionist. That was my problem. She, it's, it's so interesting to watch someone that is brilliant not be able to consistently be effective because they're so mired in the details that they can't get out of. Um, amassing documents, looking through documents, finding this, finding that, knowing that there's more, wanting to find more, needing to find more, um, the search for hidden materials. That's part of a lawyer's existence and what we do, especially in litigation, is try to find those things that, especially in the older days, but still now even, are hidden. Um, sometimes intentionally hidden and sometimes unintentionally hidden, but still hidden. It's even harder now with electronic discovery because of the sheer volume of it. Um, but we would spend hours looking for documents and finding other people that had documents. It's all about the documents. And that would derail her a lot of times. She also was, I don't think she was disrespectful. Uh, of authority, but she kind of was. Um, even with judges, she was not docile in any manner. And she would complain or challenge them, sometimes right to their face and tell them that they were being sexist or discriminatory uh, on the basis of race. You don't see many people that are like that anymore uh, or ever. Um, imagine the power that a judge holds or a supreme authority holds in your field and you march up there and tell them that they're being prejudiced against you. 
first of all, not always a great strategy in terms of getting your way in the end, getting relief. All it did would turn those people directly even more against her uh, and and put up their, their fists and get ready to fight her. And, and boy, she had so many battles. But, she, but her audacity in doing that was marvelous. Uh, even though it hurt her career most likely, and even though it was hard to watch and made everybody uncomfortable, for me, watching my mom do that, owning her power and not caring what other people thought, there was a marvelousness to that, which I admire to this day. It's also one of the reasons why she doesn't practice because she, or didn't practice to the very end because she ticked off so many people. But that bravery, that willingness to stand up for your clients, for yourself, um, that, that is a characteristic of my mom that I hold dear. It's her legacy to, to all of us children and her grandchildren. Fighting for what's right, even when it comes at a cost to you, that's something that I really believe in, um, which is good since I currently have a couple actions, not action, well, one action against me where a judge sanctioned me uh, for standing up uh, on my client's behalf in a way that she didn't appreciate. And the Court of Appeals has agreed. Um, and all you can do in those circumstances is know and have confidence that you are your best moral compass. If you have a moral compass, you are the best judge of your own moral compass. And uh, yes, you should always take into account what other people say and their opinions, and especially those in authority. But at the end of the day, if you have a strong moral compass, if you don't believe in it, then who else will? And that's, that's a legacy of my mom. The other kind of law stories of my mom uh, <laughs> range from those that are so aggravating. Uh, for example, writing briefs. I can remember we would write briefs. Um, literally around the clock. We would not go to bed at night. My mom is also a nocturnal person. She passed that gene on to our family. Um, and I was way worse back then. I could stay up all night, and I would. And she'd be hovering over the back of my shoulder. I can just picture this now. We had this word processor um, later on and started in like the 80s, early 80s. It was called the word processor. And it was a typewriter that was kind of under this hood attached with, to this little screen. Um, and the words would show up on the screen, and then you could print it out later. Problem with the word processor. It saved everything to tapes. The tapes would sometimes um, get eaten up. Um, sometimes everything would just go blank, as in you're typing something and it would go blank. Um, and I can remember literally having to write an entire brief over again that went blank before, before it was finished. That feeling of pure panic and aggravation and frustration, uh, whoa, I, I, it was just such a horrible feeling. And then you, then you kind of think, well, I wonder if it's better the second time around or not. And then 
for me, I always say, yeah, it must be better the second time around. Uh, but, oh, the lessons there were print your stuff out as you're typing it, which I no longer do since I'm paperless, but I do try to save things and not have to do that again. But that pit of agitation in my stomach from my mom never being quite satisfied with her work product or my work product, always wanting to tinker with it or taking a long time to even get to it because, you know, maybe there's more facts to find out. That level of procrastination left an indelible mark on me, which is I don't procrastinate. I can't stand it. I hate the anxiety of it. I don't wait for anything. I'm going to do it now. If you're mean to me, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to confront you now. If I have a deadline that's due in two weeks, I'm going to start working on it now. I always want to have it ahead of time. I hate having my paralegals have to get anything late or due on that day. I want to give them time so that they don't have to feel that anxiety. And I don't like that trait in other people. That procrastination gene that my mom had cured me of procrastination. I don't like it. If I find I'm procrastinating on something, then I realize that, hey, I don't like the case or I don't like it. I shouldn't have taken it. I'm not doing a good job on it. I shouldn't, shouldn't keep things that I'm not working on well and quickly because that's not fair to anybody. The final lesson I kind of learned from my mom, there's more, trust me, there is way more. Uh, but the kind of the last big lesson I learned from mom was one of humanity. And my mom had no boundaries with her clients. She had no, let me, let me put this again. She had no boundaries with her clients. They came to dinner with us. They, uh, I think I've mentioned before, they paid us in services. We had uh, George the painter. We had a guy that fixed our cars in exchange for her services. And he did so sometimes quite poorly. I can remember one time he had paid for his services with a used car. It was a used Fiat. I was driving that Fiat and the stick shift came out in my hand, like as in completely out of the box. I was holding the stick shift in the air. Um, they gave us food. One of them gave us smelt, was, which is one of the most disgusting things in my life I've ever had to eat. She forced us to eat them. We sat at that dinner table with the, those smelt going cold, refusing to put little fish with their heads in our mouths all except for Jennifer, my sister. The rest of us were like gagging and wanting to vomit. And we just sat at that table. Somebody, somebody had killed a deer, which was disgusting. Um, this is, this is the, the interaction of payment. But they were always at the office. Um, and she was, she was always where they were. We would go to their homes. They were, they were there with her. There were some problems because of her lack of boundaries, especially with the divorce clients that I will never forget. They would call her at all hours of the day and night. She became their counselor and their attorney, like their, their psychologist counselor. And that was always going to be a recipe for disaster because there is no good outcome out of divorce, especially with children. You're never happy at the end of it. It's a horrible process. And they're never going to be happy enough with you, especially if you're playing the role of psychologist. So I, I kind of watched that and learned, well, you have to have some boundaries. And I'm never going to do a divorce case other than my own. Uh, but her friendships with people, 
her warmth with people, her real true interest with people, their love of my mom was wonderful. I think what you're seeing here is I had a mother with extreme, who was, a, who was an extreme personality. And there was positives and there were negatives. And as a child, I think I focused more on the negatives because I had a, and we had to <laughs> live with that. But the positives were wonderful. I guess that's probably the best lesson that she taught me was to really care about people, to fight for them, to let them in, to not be scared to cross that boundary between lawyer and humanity and human being and human kindness and human empathy and care and compassion. But at the same time, I'm, I am my father's daughter as well, who we'll talk about later. And so I do have some boundaries, uh, which I think and hopefully creates a, a happy mix. But I love my mom dearly. I miss her. She's been, um, this is, this, we are coming up on her fourth year of not being with us anymore. Um, having a character like that in your life is precious. Uh, it's good to look at the good times, uh, and not always focus on the negative. That's which is sometimes hard to do when you're younger. It gets easier as you're older to separate them out. But at the end of the day, I would never want a different mother than my unique, fury, furious sometimes, challenging, vibrant, dominating personality of a mother who imbued us with a sense of power unlike most any other parent possibly could. Power and just self-worth and dignity. You are good. You can do it. Go get them. Those were kind of her mottos. I miss you, Mom. Over and out.